driven. Creative. You are listening to the Be Velocity podcast and this is episode 15. I'm Deborah, And I'm Ellie, your host, and we are joined today with our guest Sammy Bowler. Yes, she's a racing driver, but this girl is a bit of a Swiss army knife when it comes to competing. There's going to be lots of talking about her current season and the ups and downs she's had along the way. Welcome, Sammy. We are so excited to have you on the podcast especially after doing some research on you. How is this year holding out for you? Tell us all. Um, I'm covering the eyes at the camera about my season. Um, um, I, um, I've just finished my fifth season of racing. Bearing in mind, I bought uh, my first sort of imprint in racing was five years ago in January, where I just decided to buy a race car. So I didn't have any background um, experience I didn't do karting I didn't do um, very low level racing I went straight in at mini challenge I bought a Cooper S and um, entered well in fact I entered the championship um, in the December and we were trying to build a car from my race my uh, road mini we tried to strip that down and rebuild it ready for the season that I'd entered um, but it didn't make it in time we were struggling to get parts with it being Christmas so I had to go out and buy a ready-made challenge car that had got third overall the year before. Um, my first season of racing, um, I didn't have a mechanic. I just did it off my own back. I just decided I was going to be a racing driver for the year and I bought the race car and I just went out and did, I think I think I did three test days with the car, um, dragging people along like my mum on Mother's Day, like, come on, we're going to go for a, for a day out at the track. Um, so I think I did three and then we went straight to the first round. And I think I had a couple of friends that came with me but for the entire season I didn't have a mechanic I didn't have a team around me I tried to run it myself I was very very lucky in my first year that I had a sort of beg borrowed and st stole from everybody in the paddock and it was such a friendly experience even though the car kept breaking down because obviously it wasn't being run or managed by anyone bar me and I'm not a mechanic um so the first year was very um stressful but I'd I'd ended up fifth overall out of 15 cars in the first year. So I didn't ever come last. I didn't, um, I'd finished every single race, even if it was dragging the car back. Um, but my lap times were there or thereabouts. I was only a couple of seconds off the, the front of the pack um, and I'd never done anything before. So I thought, you know what? I actually, if I had a car that was sound and if I had a little bit of extra seat time, I probably will be quite quick. So that's when I decided to do a few more seasons. It got better and better and better. Um, but unfortunately, answer to your question, this year has been, I think, my worst year. And that was just due to 
I think a, a accumulation of bad luck. I, I genuinely put it down to that. So uh, the very beginning of the season, I had um, my calipers had been refurbished by someone not very well, and they failed on me in um, at twenty past nine on the test day, and we couldn't then get them repaired. We drove all around the country to try and get them fixed. Um, couldn't do it beyond repair. I had to buy a new set, and couldn't go out. I missed qualifying because they didn't turn up in time and all, all this stress. Um, and then the next the next um, round that we went to was Brands Hatch and I rolled it um, during qualifying and they wouldn't let me back out after I'd rolled it, even though I was raring to go. And then the, that caused um, a fracture to some part of the engine, which then caused the misfire at the next round. And then the engine blew because we couldn't find out where the issue was. The engine then blew at the next round. Um, so every single round that I went off, uh, went out with the car, it was just bad luck after bad luck after bad luck. And it was all like, they'd all linked together. And it's just one of those seasons where it all hit me at once. So it, it, it's been a bad year, even though I had aims for it to be my best year yet. Because I'd done four seasons, I'd done, a, I've got a few podiums, I've got fastest laps. I've gone into um, endurance racing, so I've done three years of sprint racing with mini challenge and then wanted to do endurance so this was my second year of endurance racing we just upped the power of the car so there was loads of loads of things where it should have been the best season that I'd had but it actually on the flip side ended up being the worst on paper even though when the car was going out and it was good you know we were pushing quicker than last year it's just one of those things I think sometimes it just all hits you at once and this year has been that year <laughs> I think we're going to like touch on this a little bit later on, but thank you for actually being so open and honest because yeah. a lot of people aren't. If you notice on your own social media, you don't actually hide anything. You go through yeah. the highs and the lows and full credit to you because you've actually done it as a bit like a privateer, I guess. And I generally have so much respect because it's coming out of your own pocket. Yes, and it's so hard, you know, that's what this, like every year, I mean, I stopped adding it up after the second season of racing. I decided that if I can afford to keep going out and doing it off, out of my own pocket, then I'll stop when either I run out of money or I'm ready to stop. You know, mm. you've got no one like sort yeah. of holding you back or telling the other, um, you know, they're not going to help you anymore. It was all off my own back and I really, really wanted to do it. Um, but this year... Uh, whatever you plan to spend, you know it costs you half many thousand every time you take the car out. Well, a set of Alcon calipers are £1,500 just for the front calipers. That's not brand new. That's secondhand that I managed to find that weekend. So you didn't plan for that and you've already paid for the test day, which was wow. the whole day was wasted. The car literally done five laps and that was it. You know, you didn't get to qualify. It's all, all the money I still have to feed my whole team. And they all do it. I don't have to pay them. They all do it for the love of it because they want to come and race. You know, hotels, like everybody, my sponsor turned yeah. up and he didn't get to see me race until the Saturday afternoon. You know, and you don't plan to roll the car. And that's through me pushing and pushing and pushing, trying to get that, you know, I'd, I'd done in and done, come in and done a pit stop. would drop the pressures because I could feel like the car was moving around a bit too much. Um, I said, right, where am I on my pace? Because we're in qualifying, I've done six laps. And they said, you know, you, you're two seconds off yesterday's times from testing. So I was like, right, well, I know I can get my two seconds. I've got new tyres on the front, so front wheel drive. So I know I can get that two seconds a lap dead easy because I had it yesterday on last year's tyres. So I went straight out of the box on, 
I, I guess, cooler tyres because we dropped the pressures. And I went straight out for my two seconds a lap. That's what I was going for. And, and I ended up, well, I'd gone over a curb exactly how I did the day before, but because the tyre pressures were that little bit lower, the grip level wasn't quite there and it started to come round. And then that's when it ended up going sideways and hit the barrier and rolled off. I don't know if you've seen the video. Um, it's quite a good video. I did post, I don't think I did post it somewhere on my Instagram. It's a great video, but it's, uh, you don't plan for that. So I had to go for a full reshell. I'd snapped my shock absorbers. I'd damaged two of my wheels. They couldn't go back. So I had all these, you know, the reshell alone was over £3,000, plus the shockers that had already been refurbed like they do every year. I'd lost two of my wheels partly through that because they were so beyond buckled, you couldn't um, repair them. Uh, and obviously then my engine blew up a few rounds after that. So you don't plan for that. That was another £4,000 to pay to have that rebuilt. Well, you can't go to your sponsors and go, well, you've paid me, you know, £1,000 to race this year, uh, mm. but I either don't finish the season or you give me money towards my reshell and money towards my my engine. You know, it, it's really hard. So at the end of the day, I own my own car and I know it's worth nothing without an engine and it's worth nothing with every single panel dented in. And I'd done every single panel. There wasn't a straight panel on it. So it was one of them things that had to come out of my pocket. But wanted to go race and had two and a half weeks from the engine blowing to get the car home, get the engine fully rebuilt, all, all parts uprated. So I had like stronger components put in it. And we bedded the engine in. Uh, well, we finished putting it in the night before on the Thursday and then took it straight to Anglesey. And I spent the day on the Friday, the test day I'd already booked. I spent the entire day cruising around at 40 and 50 mile an hour, bedding my engine in it was one of those things where I said well I've paid for my weekend I'm not going to get my money back and pay for my test day we booked the hotel there was all those things that had already come out of the pocket we either give up the season now and sort of cut our cut you know train damage limitation really or we go and bed my engine in and then we know the car's right and we see whether it would run the race 45 minutes with a pit stop and we did and the car was great but it's one of those things that without the engine the car's worth nothing and I own the car and I've got a lot of money because it was a challenge built car. So when I bought it, it was a mini, mini challenge car. Uh, there was a championship for it mm. and they've dropped the Cooper S class. They no longer do. They only do Coopers and JCW. So my class is gone now. So unfortunately, there isn't a mini challenge open or Cooper S class for my car. So at the end of the day, it's not worth anything without the engine. You know, I'm never going to get my money back. Mm. Um, so it's a matter of uh, I had to do something and yeah it all come out of my pocket you know uh, I don't even know where I found the money but you have to at the mm. end of the day you've you know you've already poured so much money into it but I really needed to finish the season otherwise I would feel like I, it was almost unfinished business so it's just one of those things that you have to do but unfortunately you know I've struggled really really struggled selling myself and trying to get financial support because it, it I don't say it isn't there, but I just know I have really, really struggled with it. Mm. Where I thought, well, if I want to do it enough, I'll pay my own way. And then you don't have to worry about pleasing your sponsors or working hard off track. I do it all for my own gain and for my friends to, who now come and watch me and I have a technical team, if you like, someone that sets the car up and I've got a mechanic that comes and they all come because they want to, they enjoy being on track and we do it all because we love it and we enjoy spending time together as opposed to it being loads of pressure and everyone, you've got a job and you should have done this and why have you not done that? And, you know, there's no pressure. 
everyone yeah. just goes to enjoy it and it's a big team thing for us a tiny little team but yeah we're proud here so we, we just honestly do it because we love it mm. but it can get tough yes you know really tough because obviously I'll come off track having rolled the car and I'll be upset because I know how many thousands it's going to cost me you know and, and then I worry that everyone's wasted a weekend really mm. through me pushing so hard but at the end of the day the way I see it is you can be average in the middle of the pack for five years or you can push the limit and find the limit try and go on beyond the limit and then when you know you've got that bit too far you, you rein it in a little bit and unfortunately I ha- I'm that character I am I have that personality of I don't want to be average I want to be better or as good as or try my hardest to be there and I don't have any fit so unfortunately I get to the limit I pass it and then get mm, okay yeah maybe I can't find another second lap on that corner <laughs> I'm gonna rein it in a little bit <laughs> but it's it, I don't want to be average I don't want to there's no point putting all this money into it to be in the middle or at the back because that that's not what I'm about. I'm mm. about, you know, trying my best to be a front runner or be a somebody and try and be a role model for these young girls that don't see that there is an opportunity, you know, make a make one. Mm. It's got to be better than the boys to gain the respect, unfortunately. They don't just give it you. Like, blokes can just walk into somewhere and get the respect when they walk in the room, whereas women have to prove themselves to then gain the respect. And I find that on both industries. So the same in transport and heavy haulage as you do in the racing world. You have to win a podium or you have to be close to their lap times before they'll really respect you as a driver. Yeah. Now, this goes on nicely to my next question and your competitive side. So this is one of Ellie's favourite questions as well. So I'm just going to hand this one over to her. So... Sammy obviously you've said you've done like five years in racing but where did it all begin for you like where did your passion come from essentially and was it like a work-related thing as you've mentioned you work in transport and you thought oh I might want to go a bit faster today is it something along them lines yeah tell us all well interestingly if I take it back a little bit um as a child I did cheerleading from being five years old and I've competed for um, Team UK and been to the European Cheerleading Champions Championships and medaled there, I don't know how many times, as a child, being a cheerleader. I also had horses all my life, and I've only ever known to compete them every weekend. I've competed for Team England and won a gold medal with the horses for show jumping, um, and competed up until about, probably about five years ago is when I gave up competing. Or uh, maybe six, maybe six years ago, so before I started racing. So I was still competing with horses until they are now in the twenties. You see, so when they got to late teens, we'd sort of peaked, and then um, I had to work. I couldn't keep them as fit as I wanted to to be competing at top level. I tried to then compete them at a lower level, and there was no adrenaline. Didn't get butterflies. It didn't excite me. So I decided, right, okay, I'm either going to be top level um, and try and make it work, or they're just going to have an easy life and I'll sort of retire them. So we chose to do that. So I just hacked them out and do the odd farm ride with the horses that I still have now. Um, But they just have an easy life now. But I then lacked the adrenaline Mm. that I got through competing or the competitive side. So my brother, uh, even though there's no racing in the family, my brother bought a race truck into, I think it was 2017. 
he did a similar thing, I guess. We'd done the odd track day with our road cars, but never really done anything with it. Um, never done karting either of us, but he just decided to go out and buy a race truck. And then he's done the British Truck Racing Championships for seven years, I think now. Mm-hmm. So that was the year before I um, started racing. And he bought me for Christmas my race license. And then if I wanted to do something with it, I could. So it was Christmas, the year that he bought his race truck, he bought it me for that Christmas. So I had a, a full year of with a race license, but didn't do anything with it because yep. I, yeah, I just didn't see anything. And then I went to watch the mini challenge at Alton Park, which is my local circuit. And mm. I was like, oh my God, this is exactly what I wanted it. And obviously I'd had a road mini, a Cupress road mini from being um, 18. I ran that for, I think, seven years, which was when I watched the mini challenge at Alton Park. And I was like, I'd blown my mini up a few times through doing track days, driving, probably like a bit of a lunatic. I've probably always had that in my blood anyway. Yeah. Um, so I'm like, right, we're going to rebuild the engine, but we're going to strip it out and make it into a road car, uh, into a race car. So we began that after Alton Park in like the July to strip my road car. But we just struggled to get parts and we just couldn't quite get it up to the right standing I was like I don't want a slow race car that was all built that we didn't even know what we were building um and we're struggling to get a roll cage for it and I was just like right I'm just going to go out and buy a car that's already done the championship that's got everything in it all the basics Mm -hmm. Um, and we know it's a quick car so that's sort of how it came about really so I guess I've always had a competitive side from probably being born I don't know it's always been drilled into me about doing something and doing it to the best that you can do it um, so I guess that's where I get it from. <laughs> Amazing. Yes. Do you that's literally like competing since yeah. Yeah. Yes. I like that a lot. Yeah. My question, again, off off topic, off script, do you kind of put quite a lot of pressure on yourself? Or do you kind of like do you allow yourself to decompress at any point when things do go wrong? No, I guess that's probably why it's hit me so hard this year because mm. I expect, I guess not to be the best at everything, but I expect um, that I have to try my very best. Mm. And I, I guess without without bullying myself up, I tend to be quite good at everything that I do because I, I'm yeah. so determined mm. to, to, if I start something, I'm going to finish it at the very, very top that I can. Yeah. And then, and then that's it. I can draw a line. I'll go, right, I've done that. So I've done cheerleading. I've, I've, I've um, won medals at European level. I've then coached Team England and Team UK at world levels in Berlin. I still teach cheerleading now. You mm. wouldn't believe it. I don't really post it anywhere, but I still take the kids abroad and, and teach cheerleading now. So I guess everything that I do, I try and get as far as I can into the very, very top. And I guess, yeah, I don't give myself any leeway I I expect to be the best Mm. and I guess I think that's because you have to have that mentality so if you go in if you think everyone thinks that a a truck driver is a big fat white bloke 50 year old man and Mm. if you're a female truck driver they expect you to be without being awful a bit butch a bit lesbian short Mm. hair Mm. thick set not really you know that that's the stereotype that they paint of you and and I just think I I can do the job as well as my brother and the lads that work for the family business in heavy haulage. I, I can do it as well as them because I'm, I make sure that I can, like I, I guess I try so, so hard so that nobody could turn around and say, oh, she's, 
she's a shit driver. You know, she's a typical yeah. woman driver. Like yeah, that, yeah. I think yeah. I've been so yeah. frightened of all my life is being called mm. a typical woman driver that I've I've made it my absolute business to be uh, better than the blokes so that mm. anyone that ever comments on me when I go out with a big 100-ton crane on the back of a wagon, um, the only thing they can ever say is, bloody hell, she is a great driver. Mm. You know, like with big stuff like that because they expect women to be rubbish and they are the first blokes are the first people to say anything about a woman that's struggling with something mm. you know when it comes to being out of the comfort zone or um, in an industry where they're not welcome mm. the women haven't for many years I, I I did my HGV when I was 18 and for all those years ago unless you were a, um, a horse rider and you drove a horse box if you did yeah. anything different than that um it uh, you well anyone would look at the wagon and go oh my God, there's a girl driving that wagon. You know, it was like unheard of. Mm. And then if ever I go to a site, I often, you know, I'll ring them and say, oh, the driver's on the way. And he just directs me in and I'll tell him where he's going. And he'll turn up and go, oh, I thought you said the bloke was on his way. I'll go, yeah, well, the odd time that I've rung and said, oh, I'm five minutes away. How do I get in? I'll turn up and there'll be 10 blokes stood at the gate watching you back in. Because mm. they want you to fail. They're waiting to say, oh, love, do you want a hand with that? Are you struggling with that? And I, and I was so frightened to death of that ever happening that I just made sure that I was brilliant at reversing into a job and that I could yeah. load the machines myself. Mm. I didn't need help with anything. And if I needed it, I would ask for it. But I'd make sure that I'd done everything that I can to be better than any of the other drivers in the fleet um, or any of the lads that work for us. And I was always treated the same as my brother. So mm. by my dad, because it was a family business. Yeah, um, would ask me to do the same stuff that he'd ask my brother to do or that he'd do himself. So I was never treated any differently. I wasn't ever treated like a girl. I was expected to move the big planks of wood and the outriggers and pull the big low load of trailers and do all the technical stuff because I was treated exactly the same as all the other lads. So I guess I've been brought up in a different way. Mm. I haven't been treated any differently. Yeah. So I sort of had to be as good as as the blokes and when you manage in a company as well you can't be seen you can't be seen to be um you know telling a bloke to do something and if they then say oh well there's this trouble and there's that trouble and I can't get in the job because it's too tight I have to be able to say right no problem if you can't do the job I'll just come and do it I'll come and pick you up you can drive the van back and I'll you know I'll do the job and Mm. I have to be confident in being that person because otherwise they you know they'll give you shit unfortunately blokes are if they feel like they're a bit struggling with the job you know that I, I feel empowered by saying it's no problem if you're struggling I'll just come and do the job and I, hmm. I put myself in that position because I'd worked really hard to make sure that I could do the job confidently hmm. and as well as them if not better hmm. because that's how you earn the respect but unfortunately you have to prove yourself like I said earlier you yeah. don't just get it like blokes if they go and do the HGV, they are, I guess, just allowed to be rubbish at the job. You know, it, it, I don't know, they're all just put on that same level. And I yeah. think if you're a woman, you're already below them until you prove yourself, unfortunately. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I get that. And I think that comes across. Um, tell me if I'm wrong, Ellie, from like all the different um, people we've spoken to already. Yeah, that kind of stigma has rolled throughout. However, it is changing. Um, it is definitely, definitely it's changing better. compared um, to what it was and what it is now. And I think it's time for us to just take that pressure off just a little bit because we have nothing to prove. 
at all. As far as I can tell, and I work in a great industry myself, if you can do the job, regardless of your gender, you're all good. Um, I think that culture is slowly starting to come through. Um, but I know for a fact we've still got some work to do. Oh, it's a, it is a culture change and it'll take 10 years or more. Because yeah. when I first HGV, when I was 18... You know, it was horrendous. And if I went to a site, sometimes I'd, I'd have blokes coming up to me saying, what are you doing here? You should be in the office. What mm. are you doing? You know, getting covered covered in muck and, you know, well, the work is dirty work when you're on building sites and you're driving uh, big machines on and off the wagon. And, you know, some building sites are minging and they'll say, you know, what are you doing here? Look at this, you know, blah, 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 blah. And I'm sure they were only looking out for me, but I did take offence at the beginning because I was like, well, I deserve to be here. I want to be here. You know, yeah, I felt yeah. like they were criticising me, but really it's these old blokes that are like, why are women doing the job of a man? You know, they don't yeah. need to be on these building sites. Women don't need to be driving machines and driving big wagons and being covered in muck all the time. You know, they can have a clean office job. Mm. But it's just the stereotype and it's just that um, it, it's a culture change that will take, you know, 20 years for it to come through that it's then acceptable to see a slimmer woman that's not got a shaved head and tattoos driving a truck. Mm. You know, and that's what they expect. Yeah. They never expect to see me climbing out the cab when they've spoke to me on the phone. They go, oh, you don't look like a lorry driver. That's an offer. Well, most of the time, that's what they say to me. Yeah. You don't look like a lorry driver. All right, well, what, what do they look like? I was <laughs> what, just going to say that. What do they look like? Yeah, yeah. what do they look like? Describe it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what do you want your ideal person to be? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right, so... Obviously, what we've discussed, I think we need to delve into the next question. So can you tell our listeners about your role in the family business? It's actually no longer my role in the family business. So even though as as a teenager, before I left school, I was an admin role. I did a few abnormal load um, routings and filing and accounts and invoicing when I was a teenager. Mm. Um, I pursued my horse career so I guess I wanted to be a professional horse rider so I did that till I was about probably mid-20s um, and then decided I need to get a real job that earned me lots of money um, as opposed to playing with horses <laughs> so I then ended up full-time for the family business um, so heavy haulage so I was out driving the big heavy loads a lot and um, did my class one so I could do the heavy stuff um, I then did my transport manager CPC so that I could be a transport manager um, and then became a director of the family business. Um, so at that point, I'd pretty much covered every single role within the family business. So I could I could do any job of anybody in the business except um, fixing the trucks. That's the only thing that I didn't do, but I could pretty much do everybody else's job. Um, yeah. And then I turned 30, um, just over 12 months ago. And before mm-hmm. my 30th birthday, I decided that I wanted to do something for myself. So I'd achieved everything that I wanted within the family business. And I wanted to break away. And um, obviously, you get a few people that think because you're a daughter of the company, you've been gifted directorship or you've been gifted the transport manager role. And you're only there because you're a name of the family so I decided at that point I want to prove myself as my own person and that I didn't mm-hmm. get there through it being gifted to me I have earned my way there and um, so if that means I have to branch away then I 
then I'm going to do it. So I did. So when I turned 30, I windled my hours down over a few months. So from full-time to part-time. And then I've been full-time in my own business now for probably about nine months. Mm-hmm. Um, so that is, I'm now an external transport manager and auditor for the transport world and working for a few different haulage companies, uh, managing their transport, making sure they're running compliant. And then anyone that's been in a public inquiry, I can do independent audits for them as well. And then just recently I did my AET so that I can teach uh, like a teaching qualification. So Mm -hmm. I now do a little bit of tutoring as well. So transport related courses that I tutor, which I quite enjoy because it's a bit of professional development. Um, It helps me really... Um, complements my day-to-day role and I have realized I'm a bit of a geek so I do listen to transport podcasts and I've got a book that I seem to read when anyone asks me a question I then go and research it to the 10th degree to make sure I know exactly what I'm doing but I absolutely love it so yeah I'm in a man's world again for my work but um, yeah I absolutely love it. Do you feel like you've accomplished what you wanted to accomplish? Yeah, and this is, I think, the first time that I didn't put any pressure on myself to achieve anything. So I actually thought I'll I'll slowly drop my hours down. Um, I didn't think I'd be full-time quite as quickly, and I didn't think I'd get clients quite as quickly. Um, but I guess I decided, um, you know, even if I struggle to make it pay for 12 months, then I'm going to give myself 12 months grace to um, learn little parts of the industry and decide then what I want to do so I wanted to do a little bit of tutoring or learn to teach a little bit um, because it is in me from teaching cheerleading so I quite like the uh, rewards you get from um, teaching people and um, you know knowing that that you've helped their knowledge within the industry and a bit of in a little bit of auditing because I quite like the challenge of um, meeting an operator that's really struggling or a company that's struggling or they've been in trouble with the traffic commissioner and then auditing all the systems um, sort of saying, this is what I found. This is the plan, what I think you need to do or what I would like to do with you. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, take it or leave it. You, you're in a mess, but I know I can get you back into the green and this is how I would like to do it. And then the rewards you get, because I did have an operator, one of my first clients actually um, that had been in trouble um, they were in the red, which is really bad for an operator, like high risk. And they came mm. to me and said, you know, the transport manager that I've had um, isn't really doing the job, but we're really struggling. Um, we are looking for a new one if you can help us. So I ordered them and said, you are in a mess. You need a lot of help, but I can help you. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I'd say give it six months of this and then um, the company will be, I would say, in a good position to be able to... Um, sort of move forward with somebody else if you wanted to. I saw it as like a six-month uh, work block of cha- a challenge that I could really get my teeth into to turn them around and say, right, by six months' time, you, someone else would be able to take you on and it'd be a nice, easy job for them. And I could almost give you, uh, you know, hand you over to, I guess, a new transport manager or somebody else that just wants a nice, easy job because I've done all the hard work. But they have... Um, well, they've kept they've kept me on. I guess I haven't given them away to anybody yet, and they're they're more than happy to um, pay me a little bit more to know that everything is hundred um, percent. But I feel like I've I've learned a lot in the last twelve. It's been twelve months. I'm thirty one now, so I've been doing it twelve months. 
on my own and I feel like um I've learned a lot of what I actually want which is what I wanted and um the outcome of that is that I like to see somebody that's really struggling with the compliance side of it and the transport management and then um me turn them around because I get a lot of reward from that but I guess it's a little bit like tutoring isn't it See, mm. teaching somebody um to get them confident so I guess um I guess it's something in me about really wanting to help operators or people um to get to the next the next level so I know that that's something that I really enjoy now nice Amazing. yeah a lot yeah I'm sorry yeah I think like in um in like a like it's it's amazing that's what I'm saying like in a such a short space of time you've gone from being like a director of the company then doing your own thing and then helping others like become a better version of themselves yeah I, th- I think it's amazing yeah well yeah well done oh, thank you but I just thought even if I can't make it pay I just want to try little diff- different things like auditing, you know, tutoring, transport management. Like I still do a bit of supercar instructing, which is where I am for the next three days. I'm supercar instructing. So I'm still keeping my hand in with that, you know, in case it doesn't all work out. And I really love variety. I actually mm-hmm. don't think, well, I've never had a 95, like the family business has always, I never knew what I was going to do when I come in in the morning. It was always, you know, you have to go on a wagon or you'll have to, um, you know, do some invoicing today or behind on this, you'll have to do that. So I think I've always known that variety is key, the key to life. And I guess that's how I want my life to be. I want to be able to, you know, I'm booked up for weeks and weeks now. I'm actually doing seven days a week, which is not ideal. But because the work is there and I, I absolutely love it, it doesn't feel like I'm working seven days. Yes. There's so much going on and I'm just really enjoying the process of, of the way everything is going. I am just really embracing everything that I've got. And hopefully at some point, I guess I've I've given myself the benchmark of when New Year comes, I really need to start, um, I guess, um, deciding a bit more structure to my weeks and the work that I get the most pleasure from. I'm going to make sure that I prioritise that above um, the other bits of work. So hmm. I do know that Christmas is sort of the benchmark of where I need to sit down with myself and go mm. through all of the work and all my clients that I've got and then go, right, okay, I'm not going to do quite as much supercar instructing because I know I'm busier with my personal work and that's where I really find the rewards for myself. Mm. And that's what you've got to weigh up, isn't it? Mm. The, about where the long-term plan is mm. and where you really want to go with it. So Christmas is the next benchmark. <laughs> <laughs> now, it's the first time that I've actually took the pressure off myself. And actually not, yeah, so this is where we're going with it. This is the first time I think probably ever that I've allowed myself a window of, okay, it might not work. I might not be able to make it pay. I might have no work. I might, Mm -hmm. it might flop and I might have to crawl back to the family business and say, please can I have my job back? Mm. Now, unfortunately for me, that was never going to be an option. I was never going to go back to the family business with my tail between my legs to say, um, I can I have my job back? Mm. But I gave myself 12 months to say, I'm going to try all these different things. Yeah. Even if I can't afford to, after 12 months, keep playing about with it and I have mm. to go and find a job employed for somebody is what the the bottom end of it was. You know, I might have to go as an in, 
external employed transport manager for somebody if it all goes to pot. Mm-hmm. But if not, I can afford for 12 months to just go and try lots of different things, you know, fail at a few different things, which I've never allowed myself to do. I've never actually experienced failing anything because I've been so, I guess, pig-headed or stubborn or determined, like however you want to put it. I was never, I never allowed myself to fail because I always made sure that I would get there. Where I was going, I was going to get there. Whereas this is the first time I've let all the pressure go off. And I just said, I'm going to enjoy the next 12 months because I'm 30 and this is a new step. It's a big step and it could go anyway. And I don't really know which way it wants to go. I'm just going to enjoy the whole process. And a lot of the time you don't allow yourself to enjoy the process because you're so set on getting your podium or, you know, getting a really fast lap time. You don't actually enjoy the process of learning. Like I never went to a track and learned one corner at a time. I always just went, I was like, right, I just need to get another second a lap. You know, it was never about, well, you've got the whole day, you know, for the next yeah. session, we're going to work on that corner. I heard other people talking about it, but I never gave myself the chance to go out and, and just work on little chunks. It was always like, my life is just a million miles an hour. So I guess turning 30 just made me think, right, I'm going to have a rest for a year. But here I am, like, busier than ever. So I guess I'm loving it. But, yeah, it's it's not turned out as I planned, I guess. It's turned out, like, way better. Great. <laughs> it's nice to see the smile growing and growing on your face from just talking about this because there's a lot of people that think being in a vulnerable position makes you weak and actually it's wrong it actually makes you stronger and this is something that I'm learning myself because like yourself I'm a bit stubborn um I can put my hand up and admit that um but for how old you are and to be in the position you are and you've done it off your own back please please give yourself full, full credit for that um and allow you allow yourself to decompress from everything that's going on otherwise you know there is that moment where you could just hit a brick wall um and your well-being always comes first regardless of anything make sure that's your number one priority and i say that for everyone listening try and take the pressure off and put you first because a lot of problems um can happen because of that and especially burnout for example um Ellie, I'm I'm sure you could agree with what I've just said. You know, I think all three of us have potentially been in that same situation. But remember, give yourself a pat on the back because you're only here once, um, pretty much. Um, and fair play to you for sharing that and being, again, like I said earlier, for just being honest and authentic. Yeah, and I guess another reason why I left the family business was due to <clears throat> burnout week in and week out because that's mm. what happens when you, yeah. um, well, there's a dri- driver shortage, well, there's still a driver shortage in the HGV world, but um, I, because I could do every single job within the family business, it meant that whenever there was somebody not in for whatever reason or we were short staffed, I, I literally got pulled from pillar to post and I was working days nights weekends like uh, burning out all the time 
working mm. with a family is hard enough if anyone's ever done it um in a stressful job where all of management are fully involved in everything that goes on in the business so we're not really management we're we're just staff we're, mm. we're just expected to do everything whereas these big companies you know a director doesn't really have a job role transport manager or you know operations manager they don't really have job roles they oversee their managers whereas in a family business you're just expected to do everything so you know it did take its toll and I had to break away for my own mental health and my own um I guess sanity like Mm. it was I was I couldn't cope it it was getting to the point where I just had to break away from everything that was going on and this is how I had to do it. I was like, this is great. I'm, I'm about to turn 30. Like in a couple of months, I'm going to turn 30. I need to do something drastic. Otherwise, I won't be making it to 35. You know, things were so bad that um, I, had, I had to do something. And I thought, mm. you know what? I'm ready for this. Now, mm. now I look back and I wish I'd done it five years ago. But yeah. at the time, I probably wouldn't have been ready back then. Whereas, whereas last year, I was so ready for making that big step but it's frightening because I had no support of anybody that's the awful thing I didn't actually have anybody that had my back mm. um, I had to do it all on my own and it was frightening because there was no guarantee that I'd actually get any work there was no guarantee that it was ever going to work out so you, sometimes you just have to take that step um, for your own for your own health um, mm. and know that you're going to make it work and I do have that personality where I was going to make it work however whatever working meant well you know what it was going to work out was that I was going to make sure of it mm. but yeah mental health is the most important thing because you are nothing without your health yeah um, and it was getting to that point where I was you know every day I was not really very well and the stress was taking its toll and I had to do something so mm. yeah if anybody is um, in that situation they need to get help or I actually taught I have a, co- a life coach that I talk to every probably every month um, I have a Zoom meeting with her and um, she helped me get through it because I, I talked about, I couldn't talk to my family about it because it was involving my family and I was really struggling with my relationships with them. Mm. Um, and all I did, she didn't advise me. She, they don't do that. They just listen and mm. they just sort of reiterate what you've told them. They'll say mm. it back to you. And then yeah. you'll go, oh, oh yeah, I didn't actually realise that that is, you know, how it was looking. I understand mm. it now from the outside and, and when you're so emotionally evolved, involved with everything that's going on, you don't see it from the outside. So mm. just talking to somebody makes you see things from sort of outside your bubble. And you go, yeah. I don't even know why I got so stressed about that. You know, yeah. it's out of my control. I, I just need to, you know, do what I do. Yeah. Can't. So it, it's very, you know, if you need to talk to somebody, it's not a weakness. Get mm. a therapist or a, or a life coach. It actually helps you see things from a different perspective sometimes yeah. when you emotionally evolve you can't actually see that mm. yeah I get that 100% get that right sorry we've gone on a tangent <laughs> I said we would didn't I Ellie we always do this don't we every um, single time about every fails. single time about fails but it's good because this is life at the end of the day the, these things happen and it's a good topic to talk about and these two questions are kind of interlinked. So I think me and Ellie are going to try and uh, bounce off each other on these ones. So let's go back to your very first championship competing. Tell us all. And Ellie, please jump in because obviously this next question relates to it. So 
So you just want to know how it went my first year. Yeah. So I bought the race car. We hadn't even looked at it because I didn't have a mechanic. I just decided yeah. I was gonna I was gonna buy a race car. Um yeah. <laughs> so every round, the um every single round that we went to, the car um I guess broke down with something. So mm-hmm. we finished every race, but with maybe a wheel wobbling off or brake pads had gone short, or like there was always something going wrong, a bit of a misfire or a bit of this or a bit of that. Like, and I had no idea what I was doing. I didn't, it's got a limited slip diff in it. And I was like, what's the knocking noise? And it's just, it's just what happens with a diff. But I've never, I've never driven a, a race car before. So I was like, it sounds really noisy, but I don't know what it is. So it was <laughs> like, it was re- a nightmare for me to try and relay what I think is going wrong with the car. I got to a point where they're going, well, you do realize that race cars are quite busy. And I'm going, but the, it's making a really funny rattling sound. It's like I'm sure it's not right. Oh well, well it's a race car. You know they are they are noisy and you can hear everything that's going on. But it turns out they eventually let someone take it out for a lap. They were like, yeah, you've got a wheel bearing on there and you've got this gone and you've got something else. And it shouldn't do that when you're turning in. So I was like, ah, oh, thank God. The car how did is not get, well. How on earth did you get through scrutineering? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Maybe, like, <laughs> I don't know. No, funny you said that. But um, yeah. yeah, I was actually, I think, yes, because I was the underdog and I had no idea what I was doing. Everybody yeah. helped me. Like, yeah. everybody. I was like, whatever it costs, have you got one of these? It's making this noise. Like, we just show me how to do that and then I can do it myself. And I did. Like, I learned by people showing me and then I changed my own brake pads and checked my own pressures and then learned what the pressure should be in my tyres and you know, I did it. I did try and do it all myself, but it got to a point where I was like, oh, "Have I remembered to do everything? Has the car got fuel in it? Have I taught my wheels up?" Um, you know, and I couldn't actually then present myself for the race in the right mentality because I was so fixated on making sure my wheels were not going to fall off or that I wasn't going to run out of fuel. You know, there was all those things. It was just not ideal. I mean, I loved it because I was like, I really. I'm really excited about being here and thanks so much for everyone for helping me. I'm sorry, maybe you must think I'm blonde. Do you know what I mean? Like everything going wrong, but um, I just loved being in, in, on the track and around all these people and everyone was just so lovely. But then obviously I did all right at the end of the season. And then the next season when I got a mechanic and the car was great, I then became a threat, didn't I? So the help was sort of withdrawn a little bit and it was like oh no I've not got any of them you know spark plugs (laughs) that every race team carries and it's because I hadn't sorted my spares kit out so uh, you know I learned quite fast then after my first season I learned really fast that um, they're there to help when you're doing um, worse than them but as soon as you start battling with similar lap times or starting to really improve which I did as soon as the car was right then it proved it on my lap times and the results came then um that's when people go okay yeah she's uh she's actually all right she actually knows what she's doing she's a you know a decent peddler or whatever Mm. and that's when it was withdrawn a little bit but I had to learn fast didn't I at the end of the day I couldn't beg and borrow it was really unprofessional but I didn't have any sponsor at that point I just sort of said "Ah, I'm just gonna go and have a laugh you know that was my attitude I had no expectations of myself but just to have fun yeah and I think sometimes um people forget about that 
the fun bit. I agree because I have actually thought about um, doing something higher level, but I actually realised that do I have the time to commit myself in the week running up to your race weekend to make sure you've, you know, re- I don't know, mess got a simulator for at home and done some practices on the sim. You know, you're there in good times. So you're well rested. You've done your track walk. You've, um, I don't know, done a couple of days testing. I don't know, all these people I, I was racing against, um, racing drivers that have been doing it 10 years or lads that are in go-karts that have been karting all their life. And there was just a little old me that never done a thing. I was like, oh, I'm quite pleased. I just got fourth out of 15. I'm a nobody. I have no experience. And these guys have been doing it a long time. So I don't know whether stepping up to, although it's obviously the ultimate dream for everybody is to be a top racing driver, but do Mm. I have the lifestyle for it? Do I actually want the pressure of having sponsors put? 10 20 50 grand into me and they want results and they want you to be eating and sleeping and breathing racing everything about racing do I even want that and I just think I don't even know if I've got the the want to be formula one or you know like top top level because the pressure that comes with that you are expected to do absolutely everything that you know to be the very 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 best and I just think do, do you lose the fun in it I know a few people that you know they're working so hard for the sponsors and they're putting so much groundwork in like that on a race weekend they can't go to the pub and have a nice tea with the friends from the track because they have to sit and do data they have to sit and you know they've got jobs to do all night and then they have to have an early night and then they have to be up early and you know it's so regimented that I think do I even want to be fully controlled by all of that or do I just want to do whatever I feel like doing and I think I'm that person. I just want to enjoy my life. I don't want to be dictated to by anybody. And I don't want somebody to say, you mustn't ever have a glass of wine and you mustn't ever, you know, stay up past 10 p.m. when you're racing. Or You know what I mean? I think you've it's, it gets very difficult when you get past that level yeah. of it being club-level fun to being, I don't know, a professional driver you've got you've got to be so committed that it is your entire life that is it racing so yeah I guess it's a it's a difficult it's a full life lifestyle change and I think I'd miss working because I love my job so much that's nothing to do with racing I actually enjoy the way it's the way it's been where I just go and spend the odd weekend off you know Friday off work because I then go and we'll go and play in a race car for the weekend and then we'll go back to reality on a Monday morning you know, I, I like that balance that I have as opposed to giving up my work to, you know, work for my sponsors and the racing. You've, I think it, it's difficult. You've got to really want it. Mm. Yeah, no, I agree. So now what what car do you currently have and how does it compare to previous cars you've owned and why? Are we talking about race cars or road cars? race cars let's both yeah Yeah, okay so so i'm probably showing my age now but my first car was an enreg fiesta in um, in racing green a 1.9 liter in racing green and um obviously i can't i can't tell this to anybody but um i got most of my points in my first two years of racing in that in in not in racing in um on the road (laughs) in that car 
you wouldn't believe it. It's the, it was the slowest thing to get to 70 miles you've ever been Fiesta. <laughs> you needed to be five up downhill to get any, anywhere near 70 miles an hour. Um, but then I got my Mini, so an R53 Cupra S in um, electric blue. My favourite, I'd saved up all my money from being 10 years old. So when they first brought the BM, the new BMW Mini out at the time, um, it's all they ever wanted. So until I turned 17, I literally saved up all my birthday and Christmas money to then buy my R53 when I turned uh, 19. And the only way that I was allowed to buy that car is if I'd done my advanced motoring um, test. So my dad said, well, I think they paid for it because my mum was something to do with the advanced institute advanced motorist so the only way i was allowed a cooper s because it was so fast and um, was if i did my um, advanced motoring test so i did that at 18 then ran my money for seven years blew it up a few times and then made it to a race car so when that died i had a one series bmw a one 3d which i really loved i did actually love that bmw um and then I've had four befores ever since that. So I had an Evoke, um, but unfortunately the Evoke, um, it can only tow 1,800 kilos. So I could literally take my race car, but no spares. Um, so they're a bit pointless. They're sort of a show car, I guess, um, as opposed to a workhorse. Um, so yeah, but race car wise, um, my R53 that didn't make it, that road car that I had for like seven, well, I've still got it. In a million bits in the garage in its current state um but because it didn't make it into a race, a race car i then bought my r56 mini turbo um and i've still got it so that was my first race car five seasons ago and um i still got it now so we've made a few upgrades to it we've made it quicker and uh, the poor thing gets pushed to its limit all the time um but i absolutely love it i trust everything about it i can send it in you know wherever I can I really really trust everything about that car and I think that's the beauty of it I'm frightened of um looking for a new car that's maybe a bit powerful a bit more powerful and spending a year making sure that everything's mechanically right and learn the car before you can then start getting any decent results with it because that's unfortunately what happens isn't it? when mm. you're buying somebody else's car you know it takes a while to get used to everything learn how it's set up and get into grips of how far you can push it before you can then start getting decent results so I guess that's why I've hung on to my mini for so long and I'm emotionally attached to it <laughs> and I've not been able to like there's only a couple of people that have actually driven it in all the time that I've had it because I'm so emotionally attached I guess because I bought it outright um with some money that I inherited that I guess I'm so frightened of somebody else being in it it's all right for me to blow it up and roll it, but I guess if somebody else did it, I don't know how I would actually react. <laughs> so that's why I've, um, I guess, been selfish enough to run it myself for five years and not have to share the drive with anybody. So that's Amazing. the whole journey of cars, really. <laughs> well, thank you for that. <laughs> yeah, thank you. So what are your plans for next year and beyond, essentially? Have you got any big plans to do anything major, get a new car, for example, or just stick to what you're doing and go back out on track? Yes, I always want, I originally um, wanted to do Britpop because um, they do 45 minute races um, and it's a, a 
better championship than the road sports, than 50 meters called road sports, which is more club level. The brick car was like the next step up, but the entries yeah. were such a massive. I think it was three times the cost of what I'm currently paying for 750 Motor Club to go into Brick Car. It's about three times per weekend. It was like three times the entry fee. And then everything else is obviously, you know, tyres and everything else is that next step up. And I've struggled to actually get the season I've done for two years. I've struggled to get any of that funded. I've only had a few thousand in, which might sound like a lot of money to get in for sponsors for some people. But if you think it costs around 30 grand to run the car and I own it so I don't have to rent it and my staff I say staff my team all you know we all do it because we love it and no one actually gets paid they they all cost them to come to the race circuits and and whatnot so that doesn't take into account any wages or hotels or feeding anybody that was just to run the car um, and my brake pads are sponsored, so I don't have to pay for them. And the fuel, the uh, all the um, oils and things like that are all sponsored. So I don't actually have to pay for them. So they didn't even come to account. This was just to try and run the car for a season without any additional costs. So if you think if I got £5,000 in in sponsorship, it's not even a tiny chunk really on what it costs to go. And I've done five seasons of being self-funded. Mm. And the first year I didn't get a penny in. The second year I got £1,000 in. And then the other years, the most I've got is five grand in sponsorship. Well, it doesn't even. If you think of what it's cost me five years going, at some point I've had to go, right, I, I, I can't actually fund this anymore. And it's all right. Everybody says, you know, you give up. You, you're great. You know, you're talented. You're You'll make it work. You'll do something. Is what they all tell me. But are any of them offering to help fund it? No. So unfortunately, at some point, I do have to take responsibility for my finances and say, I actually can't afford to do this anymore. As much as everybody loves me doing it, and you know, I, I love it. I actually have to remember that it's not nobody's supporting that financially. Somebody has to find the money, and when it's cost an extra ten thousand on top of the season which you had this year alone for those major um like failings or bad luck whatever you want to call it um you know the money has to come from somewhere and unfortunately not have anyone else's pocket bar mine um and i'm working for myself so i you know i've never been able to put any money through any businesses and pay back on everything and it all you know takes into consideration if you've got a sponsor that's paying for your parts bills they can swallow the vat so that it doesn't cost you i've had to pay the vat for five years i've swallowed the vat on everything that i've had to buy for that car and it is you know it takes its toll i've got to a point where i'm like i don't actually know if i commit to next year because at some point um i have to be realistic and i, I couldn't do another year the way it's cost this year i couldn't do another year so um you know i have actually said to the team i'm not committing to anything the car is still sat on a trailer um i've done two track days just for fun one of them is a charity do um a charity track day that we just went out for a bit of a laugh and it was torrential rain at blighton thunder light torrential rain everyone's tootling around and i was sending it <laughs> um just because i can i was just like well, we're here. i may as well have fun you know we don't there's no pressure to do anything um and i actually had a really great day and i thought you know if i could get that level of enjoyment 
when the weather was like they should really have shut lighting because it was flooded. Um, but if I could get that level of fun out of it and still enjoy it, then is it worth keeping the car for that? But then it seems a shame to have a car so highly specced. Um, you know, there's a lot of money in that. I could go and buy a three grand mini and have it as a track day car that sits in the garage as opposed to my mini challenge car. So it's weighing up what I want to do. I'd love to race, but financially, um, I can't afford to do it. So right now it's sat on the trailer. Um, I just wanted to get a bit of a break from the end of the season. I thought I'm not going to put myself under any pressure. I'm just going to leave it on the trailer, see if anything happens. I guess I've done a little bit for Formula Woman assessment days the last couple of days, and I've quite enjoyed, you know, doing that, talking to the girls. You know, maybe something might come out of that because the girls that are in Formula Woman that are instructing are actually my teammates from the C124 hour back in 2019 when we came fifth. I don't know whether you did you ever read that? Yes, you know? I remember that. Remember yes. That. Yes. So that was like a highlight of my career was um joining those other three girls um and out of a hundred cars at Silverstone C124 hour, 450 drivers, our little all girl team ended up fit. Um, so it was really nice to rejoin them the last couple of days and instruct with them um, and assess the girls performing the woman competition. And we were chatting about it, saying, you know, really, we could do like the C1 next year, maybe, or you don't know what, you know, to try and get Formula Woman um, marketed a bit better or out there and a bit better known. Um, we could do something like uh, low level racing and just have a lot of fun because those girls um like alice isn't competing anymore because of budget you know there's a budget plays a massive part it doesn't matter how talented you are if you haven't got any money backing you um or if you can't afford to do it yourself or i mean i i'm old for a racing driver at this sort of level in terms of no, a lot of... <laughs> well but uh, so there were um eight girls there um, instructing or working for me, woman. They were, they were all either teenagers or early twenties, except mm. Alice, who was twenty eight, and me, who's thirty one. And then um, it's if I if I look at the way all these scholarships go and um, all these, um, in, I guess incentives or opportunities, they're all for young people. Mm. So, you know, it, it's difficult for someone of my age to to seek um, opportunity, I guess. It is really difficult because everyone targets the, the young carters that obviously have massive potential and that have got mum and dad funding it. Because that's a lot of the time, you know, they've got families that are, that are putting lots and lots of money into their children. Yet there's just me that hasn't been, I don't have my parents or my family pouring money into me to do it. Um, so it, it, it is difficult. Um, you know, and the other girls struggle for for sponsorship, but um, you know, it would be nice to, to rejoin those girls and, and do another team um endurance, something like that. We we're, were trying to talk about it and see if we could do it because it would mean that we could all get back on the grid together. And I know we were a pretty um awesome team um on that weekend, especially. We mm. really showed the boys how it was done and we were laughing about it because they were interviewing us all all the time they were in the garage trying to get interviews from us the 
um, the media for that weekend um, because we got up to second at some at one point during the night shift I think we got it was only a few hours before the end of the race or something we got up to like second and then I had a, a puncture and I had to limp it back in um, repair the puncture and we ended up fifth but um, yeah, it was nice to see them girls again and and sort of get back in touch and really want to do something together. Mm. I think cost-effective wise, endurance racing is probably the way to go, especially like with ride and drive packages as well. It is the um, you get more seat time for your money, and yeah. especially in that C one that we did, um, the car would run for an hour. At- Sorry, three hours at a time that car would run um, on fuel. So it was fuel that actually meant you have to pit. Um, so if you can imagine three hours um, around Silverstone GP, so it's a long, long lap. I think it was like three minutes a lap we were doing. Yeah. Um, it was around that time. And um, that that is the best way to get consistent in your lap times. And we were consistent like within a second or whatever. Um, it, it's the best way to get really really consistent as opposed to sprint racing or you know you would be better doing something like that which is what I proposed to the formula woman um team so I said you know if you rather than sending the girls straight out into a McLaren when they've won the competition you'd be better doing a year of club level endurance racing so they can get seat time and learn the race craft um, and then say year two, it should always be like a two-year pro- program. Year two, then put them in something quicker and when they've done the basics, because at the end of the day, when I did the C124, I'd only done one year of racing and it was that first year where I didn't have the best year. Um, and because my mini was a lot quicker than a C1, I actually learned the basics in my year two in the C1 mm-hmm. that I didn't learn in the mini because it's um, it masks a lot of your bad habits uh, racing a quicker car mm. because if you if you mess up a corner you can get straight on the power and it'll pull away nice and quick whereas in a c1 that's 70 brake horsepower if you mess up a corner um you can't just go flat on the power and and mask it on exit you know you've you've knackered it for that straight take you another minute to get your power back up and your speed back up to then be able to recover that lap you know mm. it, it was re- i learned an awful lot in a c1 about how sometimes how rubbish certain corners were um because you just couldn't you couldn't cover it up (laughs) you had to learn to take the corner properly and not to um you know learn your in um your in speeds and your out speeds like how you can if you get held up on an in you know it can really really sacrifice your out and if you don't get your line right and I had to learn all that from year two of racing as opposed yeah. to the beginning in karting, which most people learn the basics, and I just didn't. Say if the girls got back together and you wanted to get sponsorship, for example, how would people get in contact with you? Um, I guess I'm on Instagram with my racing page. Um, the other girls um, that I know are keen are Alice Hughes and Katie Milner. Katie Milner is a mclaren and development driver alice hughes did mighty minis um won the championship a few good few years ago now i've done podiums with my mini and um i guess the fourth team member was jen hepworth but she's doing lots of big mighty things abroad um so i guess it would be us finding a 
and maybe a fourth team member but between us we are a real strong team um so i guess contacting us on socials or getting in touch with any any of us three um would be the way forward or i guess even contacting formula woman um because that's sort of how we've all got back together and they do work for them um but yeah on the socials facebook instagram I guess it's the best way or I've got an email address I guess you could put it in the show notes if you wanted to um but yeah we're a great team and we're we have a lot of fun between us you know we're really down-to-earth girls um so it is I know it's a nice our garage was absolutely buzzing the year that we did it um and it was ran the car was actually ran by Alice's Alice and Katie's dads and they're sort of best friends so it was a, a really great buzz in the garage so I know it'd be a great place to be for anybody that wants to come and support us and you know we would love to do it again and uh, we would definitely be going for um, a podium because we are that determined between us. <laughs> Let's get the girl band back together for next year. <laughs> yeah that's, that's the plan because the dream team. <laughs> dream team because um we're all about making things happen or um we're we're here to provide the support to people that don't have it and need extra coverage, I guess. Um yeah. we've found like our past podcast has made dreams come true for people or they've allowed them to take that extra step and just go down that career path that they've always wanted to go to and I'm going to let Ellie speak in in terms of what you've learned so far about our guests um yeah so everyone probably probably interviewed is so different and I think it's been like a learning curve for everyone because we're learning and the guest that understands more about themselves because they're speaking about it and they share their passion and then our listeners can hear about what they're doing then they gain so many followers and sponsorship and that's why we always say like name your sponsors or how do you reach out or are people looking for sponsors that type of thing because we want people to give it a go and give them the best chance so that's why Deb obviously has created this platform for that purpose really and I don't generally focus on the on the top tier level because as you mentioned before you know they've already got the funding they get quite a lot of press and it's like there's young talented people out there that just don't get noticed they're not in the spotlight and it's all about getting them in that spotlight because there's lots of talented racers, you know. Look, look at um, like what Motorsport UK have been doing for females as well. You know, we're all here for each other. Let's back each other and support one another. Um, I know it doesn't always work like that, um, and that's something um, we're learning about. Um, and Ellie, Ellie's hit the nail on the head on about what this platform's all about. Yeah, I think it's great what you're doing and it's about having a support network and I didn't know anyone in my first year and I guess that's why everybody was quite happy to be my friend but they weren't real friends and that's what you learn about Mm. who your real friends are and I guess a platform like this, you know, it's nice to have genuine people supporting you and wanting you to do well as opposed to your components that are on track um, that want you to do well when you're um, behind them. Um, and not when you're in front mm. and it's like a hard pill to swallow for some people 
mm. you know, big hairy blokes that don't like a, a girl in a mini to be passing them. Um, it is changing the world, but um, you know, it's still there. It's mm. still there. We still have a lot to prove. Mm. Um, Indeed. Yeah. Now, you've mentioned it. Supercar instructor for Car Chase Heroes. Tell us, give us a bit of an insight into your job role. So, um, so I've just done two days performing the woman at yeah. Bedford mm-hmm. and then across to Abingdon Airfield. Yeah. And I'm now spending three days working for Car Heroes. So my job role there is to um, rock up in the morning, get told what car I'm going to be in. I think they own about 70 or 80 cars. So I could be in any one of those cars. I never know until the day I turn up. And then sometimes you, you know, on a busy day, you'll probably take between 45 and 55 customers out during that day Mm -hmm. uh, for their experience. So whether that's a a three-mile experience um, around a racetrack or an airfield, um, I'm often in uh, Ferrari 458s or... Um, I've done a few days in a McLaren or there's lots of different things, lots of different cars. I never know what I'm going to be driving um, from one day to the next. And with it being a three-day event, it, I could be in a different car every day. Um, so I guess I do it for a bit of fun. Um, I don't, I, I love my day job. That's where my passion is. Mm. Um, I do this, I guess, if it works in with whatever area I'm working in. Um, then I'll book on and just make myself available for that um, and it keeps my hand in a little bit driving different cars which I quite enjoy so um, I guess that's the reason why I do it and I can just go home and forget about the world and I know I've had a play around in something like a Ferrari McLaren that I'll probably never ever drive in my lifetime but it's nice to, to drive something fast like that mm. the adrenaline you get because often if it's not the customer driving you might get um, a passenger ride where you know you've got a 10 year old child or or even an adult that doesn't want to drive they just want to experience the car with a racing driver driving and yeah. I'll get to go and you know drive the car around at high speed and you know have a, a lot of fun we have a lot of fun so yeah I enjoy it as a bit of fun that's amazing so moving on to now could you tell us what racing has brought to your life, for example, when there's like been a difficult point. So what it essentially means to you? I guess, um, I mean, if you look at the overall picture, there are, I guess, more lows than there are highs because there's only ever one winner. Um, That's what you have to remember. But uh, the way I see it is I don't get podiums every weekend that I go out, especially because I'd, um, you know, I've, I've had, I've never won but I've come second quite a lot of times, third, fast, some fastest laps. Um, and the, the thing that I was most ever pleased about, so some of them seconds I wasn't even um, really proud of. I was more proud of like fourth when I'd had the most incredible battle in the middle of the field with like four other cars where we'd changed positions like five or six times over a 15-minute race. Like they were my favourite memorable moments were actually – having an awesome battle where it was clean racing nobody touched anybody but we were you know I I watched some of the videos back from when we were when they used to be live streamed and I just absolutely get this warm feeling inside I think I'm so proud of myself like for battling elbows out really really battling you know and not giving the place up defending really really well but 
being respectful of other drivers we actually had the best time so a lot of my most memorable moments even though they weren't winning any championships or anything like that it was actually having really respectable battles with blokes that have been racing 10 years or that have been one karting championships and there's little old me that had no experience that's just having a go and trying trying my best and I actually had the best time just battling with them and and having similar lap times with them but I haven't got the experience to back it up and then when I moved to endurance racing um I actually really enjoy the endurance stuff because I um get more into the car the longer that I'm in like most people do um but I sacrificed getting podiums to go and learn the endurance stuff and the technical side of getting your uh, stops right and we had radios so it was about timing your pit stops so that you could um really benefit you know in the long run over the 45 minutes so that was I really enjoyed that and we were really pushing for podiums this year and I was determined to get something this year but obviously it just didn't quite go to plan but yeah there are a lot there are a lot of those and they it's about how well you come back and bounce back from those um you know you can you can make mistakes and it's about not letting it um get you down and it can be hard when I have high expectations of myself and um you know I have I have ongoing battles with myself because then I feel um guilty that my team have sacrificed you know they've given up a weekend and driven all the way down to Snetterton which is five and a half hours for us um you know and then we've had drama and we've ended up coming home early so um you know it can play a big part on your mental health but it's one of the things you've got to want to keep getting up back up don't you Mm -hmm. now before we go you know what's coming early don't you I do, yeah. I do. I'm just going to shut up. Okay, so you'll know in season one, as a bit of fun, we've been asking our guests the favourite song when they're driving or what represents you and your passion. We're building a very impressive playlist, shall I say, on our Spotify. You can find it on Spotify, everyone. So, Sammy, what song are you picking and why this evening to add to our playlist? I only accept the first song only she's a hard one she's a hard one to please hard one to please i mean i'm definitely getting beyonce vibes here because she's a strong independent woman and she's like my favorite for a bit of empowerment and a bit of crazy car singing at the top of my voice so i guess she's definitely gonna be there the new album is pretty good as well can't decide what song i'd go for I mean, that Cuffit one is right up there. Yeah. I think I do I do want to have a boogie with that one. I'm in the car, so I guess I'm, I'm <laughs> going to go for that one. Amazing. We haven't had a Beyonce one, actually. No. Oh, no. Yeah. You do, no, you don't. Ah. That's the She's the queen. Yeah. We've had Taylor Swift. That's yeah, about no, as far as it's gone. not a Beyonce. Beyonce, yeah, but we've had a lot of Beyonce. She is Queen so thank you for that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, we're going to cuss it, cuss it, cuss it. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, <laughs> you got more voice in that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm so sorry for everyone that's just had to listen to that cat wailing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, great song choice, marvelous. So, this is the bit I hate. It's where we all have to say goodbye. But before we go, Sammy, 
thank you ever so much for coming on. Thank you again for being so open, honest and authentic and realistic because let's face it, being an adult, sometimes we're like, we're the only adult around when you're looking for an adult because you've just realised, actually, I've grown up, I'm now in this position now and I've got to deal with it. Um, so thank you for sharing your story um, and what you're about. Again, we'll be keeping an eye on you, what happens with Formula Woman, and obviously keeping tabs on you to see what happens next year because we want the dream team back for <laughs> Citroen C1 24-hour racing because I experienced yes. my first 24-hour race this year and it's incredible and intense but fun. Anything else you want to add, Ellie? No, that's it. Thank you, Sammy. It's been amazing to literally hear all about the crazy life you lead and we absolutely adore it here. So, yeah, thank you. Thank you for coming on. So, see you again. Thank you for coming on. Have Thanks a good evening. Thanks for having me. It's been great. Thank been you. Bye. Been a pleasure. Thank you. Wow, 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 wow. Sammy, Sammy, Sammy. What a girl. Sorry if it's gone on so long. <laughs> it's It's gone on for long. In fact, she's still here, even though she's supposed to be gone. You never know. Uh, <laughs> again. No, it's fine. You no, I just want to say it. thanks for, for, fi for it finally happening. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Bless her. So I'm going to advise all our listeners to keep an eye on the Swiss Army Knife socials <laughs> Sammy. And if you do have any messages for her, then please feel free to get in touch and fire some questions over to us. And you never know, we might just get her back on. As always, show some love for our podcast by leaving us a review, liking and, of course, subscribing. Plus, don't forget to share your favourite episode to get it in as many people's ears as we can. Remember, your help will help others too. Thank you for listening to the Be Velocity podcast. Stay tuned for next week's episode. And if you know someone that would like to get involved in building our global community or you'd like to get involved yourself, you know where we are. It's goodbye from me. And it's goodbye from me. Engineered. Driven. Created.